Titus chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 10 here tonight in our in-depth Bible study. Last time we looked at practical godly living for older men and older women and younger women. And so we saw there again in in verse 1, he says, Titus, your job is to speak the things that that are proper for sound doctrine. Now, the word sound, we're going to see it repeatedly through Titus. And that word sound means healthy. So you've got to speak. Now, again, Titus was a young man. And he's being told to teach older people, older men, older women, and then also younger men we're going to look at tonight. A lot of times we don't want to speak. (laughs) Because what we have to say we know is going to be hard for the hearer to hear. And uh, in this particular case, when we looked at older men and older women, it was to shake them out of uh, their complacency. Typically, if you look at an older man, um, his life can go a certain direction. And the fire for the Lord, the fire for life, a vision to accomplish things in life, he just sort of wants to retire from life and just sort of cruise, let the younger people do it. And Titus was saying, no, you let them know. They've got a very important job. They've been on this earth. They've had all those years in the word. They've had all these years to grow, to now pour their lives into the younger men. And they need to do it. And you need to help them see this vision, this plan. And so we saw in verse 2 that they need to be sober. Uh, Literally, that means sober from alcohol or drugs. Uh, metaphorically, it means sober in the way they view life. Uh, both ways we need to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, sound in love, in patience or endurance. The older we get, the harder it is to endure. Um, you know, you, you just sort of want to just start cruising and just not have the drive for life that you once had. And it's every single person on earth is going to go through that Season, And in that season, we have to say, no, I understand. That's the way my body wants to go. <laughs> when I was young, my body wanted to go in one way, and I had to beat it in subjection and say no. And now my body's, as an older person, is wanting to go a certain direction, and I've got to beat my body in subjection again and say, no, this is the way you're going to go. I know you don't have energy, but you're going to do it anyway. And you'll get energy on the way by the grace of God. Um, I know you want to cruise, but I'm not going to let you cruise. Body, get in there and teach Sunday school and go down to the missions, uh, to the orphanage or on the missions trip or, or uh, go out and, and be that witness. And, and so you have to tell older men and help them understand that until we breathe our last, we have a ministry. And we need to keep up the ministries we have and not just sort of go into a lazy mode uh, as we get older. Older women, again, in particular, uh, very similar to the older men. Uh, They also need to have that same reverent behavior. It says likewise or in the same way. They need need to let the godliness come out, that that their life is a godly life. Again, not slanders. Women as they get older, uh, I think women of all ages and and men too, but older women in particular, you know, uh, the inquiring mind wants to know. I wonder what percentage of uh, people buy those 
inquiring type of magazines. If it's not older women who want to know the latest gossip on, on people. And don't, don't go in that way. Again, that word slander in there in verse 3. It's the Greek word diabolos. Uh, we translate it, uh, and in fact it is translated in the Bible, as devil. It's the same word. So if you are getting into that pattern of slander, you are doing the devil's work. That's exactly what the devil does. He slanders, he accuses. And um, again, not given to much wine. And as you get older, your body get achy, and you try to find ways to keep your body happy. And a lot of those ways become addictive. And so don't let your body get addicted um, you know, we have more sophisticated ways than alcohol today, uh, but it's basically the same thing where you're using uh, medications to medicate yourself to get up, to go to bed, to get excited, to do this, to do that, and don't go that way. That's the pattern of the world. Um, look to God. Pray about things. Let God direct you and Him strengthen you. Don't, don't let wine become how you cope with your life. And also, the older women are to be teachers of good things. In particular, we come into verse 4, to teach the younger women. Now, Titus was to teach the older men. He was to teach the older women. He was to teach the younger men. Titus was not to teach the younger women. That wouldn't be appropriate. But the older women are to teach the younger women. And again, they're to teach them how to love their husbands. And we talked about this last time. Guys aren't always the most loving people to love. And, uh, you know, everybody's great while they're dating and engaged. And, you know, after the wedding day, um, some guys can go downhill in a hurry. And, uh, again, nagging is not going to accomplish anything. Um, It's killing with kindness. It's learning to love your husband and pray for your husband and, and, uh, and causing him to wake up and, and, and to realize what he needs to be as you focus on your part as a woman to love your husbands and to honor and respect him. And also to love their children. Um, again, you'd say, well, older women got to teach them to love their children. Yeah, I mean, sometimes kids can wear you down and, and you're ready to throw in the towel with them and you've got to stay in the fight and keep loving them and working with them. Be discreet, chaste, homemakers. We talked about that one. Having their heart in the home, even though they may be working outside the home, that their goals in life is to make the house a home and to build up their children. Good, obedient to their own husbands. And everybody said? Okay, let's try this again. Obedient to their husbands. Amen. Uh, yeah. Good baritone, amen. And uh, <laughs> that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So, uh, again, if the older men, older women, younger women at this point, are not being the godly people they need to be, then the word of God can be blasphemed. Remember, King David, when he had his affair with Bathsheba. And the Lord said, your deed is going to blaspheme my name amongst the Gentiles. There in uh, 1 Samuel 12. And so, in other words, 
it was going to get out that David had taken one of his own mighty men, why his own mighty man was out fighting the battle for King David. He seduced this man's wife and had sexual relations with her, got her pregnant, and then through a series of things, he was killed in battle, but by the hand of David. And he said, all of this is going to blaspheme my name in the world, people that don't know me, and the Gentiles, heathen. And, and again, uh, it may not be to that degree is our sin, but still, if what we're doing we know is wrong, the world knows we're wrong. Have you ever had the, somebody in the world say, I thought you were a Christian. I didn't think Christians were supposed to do that. They know. Remember, every one of us have been made in the image of God. Every one of us, um, even if a person's a non-Christian, has inscribed upon his heart the understanding of the way things are supposed to be. And the idea is you Christians are following God and you're being what you're supposed to be. And so, uh, again, that our manners... And so here he's teaching this very practically... I mean, obviously, none of this stuff would have to be said if we just walked in the Spirit, right? If we walked in the Spirit all the time, we would have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And you you look at these things, and and it's done. Yeah, I don't need to say, don't be addicted to wine. You're going to have self-control. I don't need to say, love your husband. That's That's the fruit of the Spirit itself, love. And you can go on down the list. But we don't always walk in the Spirit, do we? And we are also growing in the life of the Spirit. And so he's telling Titus very practically, sometimes you've got to say, that's flesh. I, I understand it's working for you, but it's flesh. I understand you drink until you pass out every night and you get a good night's sleep from that, but that's flesh. <laughs> I understand that your husband's this way and, you know, you'd rather just work overtime and not deal with it, but it's wrong. <laughs> You've got to be at home. You've got to have your heart in the home. And I know your husband doesn't appreciate you and what you do, but you still need to be the wife you're supposed to be. You still need to be the woman of God that God's called you to be, even if your husband, even if your kids, even if whoever. And so we're to encourage one another, the Bible says in Hebrews, why it's called today. Lest the deceitfulness of sin should harden our hearts. And so it's so important that we encourage each other towards godliness. And Pastor Timothy, this young man, was to get in the mix. Instead of backing off going, I wouldn't do it that way and I don't want to tick them off and I don't want to upset them and I don't really want to hurt their feelings. And, And he's saying, look, This is what a pastor does. When he hears something is awry, you address it. And not, you know, you hear it about one person, guess what? It's probably happening in 80% of everybody else's homes too. So address the issue. It doesn't have to be to one person and the fact that whatever it is. Address it in church. Hey, as believers, we are to be like this. This is the Jesus style. This is what Jesus would do. This is how it practically works out. And to give that clear direction. Well, tonight in verse 6, 
Likewise, there's that word again, like we saw between the older men and the older women, likewise, in the same way. Now we see between the younger women and the younger men, the word again, likewise. So there's not a lot of difference between the men and women's character, but there are issues that are different that need to be addressed. So you younger men are to exhort, and again, this is a very strong word, to beg them, to entreat them with an intensity Exhort these young men to be sober-minded, to be serious about the things of God. So often people are serious about a lot of things but the things of God. Younger men are often serious about education. They're serious about their work. They're serious about promotions and getting ahead and often their sports. And he's saying, tell these young men to get serious about the things of God. And then in, um, we also see people, again, uh, to be sober-minded. So you're serious about the things of God, but you need to be mature about the things of God. In Romans chapter 10, verse 2, Paul says, I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And a lot of times you see the young men with a, a, a real zeal for the things of God, but without the knowledge there, without the maturity being there. And Titus is to say, yes, be zealous for the things of God, but in a, in a mature fashion. And then he said that they would be a pattern, notice here, in all, in all things showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works. That Greek word for pattern is the word tupos, or to make a type, to make a replica of. So if, if you had a cookie cutter, right, and uh, maybe a cookie cutter of a Christmas tree here. You put it on the one set of dough and you do it on the next set of dough and you have two trees that are identical, right? Make a pattern. Um, this is also, uh, you could have a, um, a hammer and a gavel and you're making an indentation in metal or something. Uh, making a stamp with ink. Making a stamp over and over again. It's, it's an, making an impression that's identical. And so your pattern, of course, who are we trying to be identical to? (laughs) Jesus, right? He is our pattern. That's the word Christian. You guys are Christians. You're just like Christ. So make your life, as your life gets stamped out, make it stamped out next to Jesus, looking like Jesus. And then a pattern of good works. Remember Ephesians 2.10 says, We have been created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If God's intention was only to save us, the moment you get born again, you know, you're out of here. Immediate rapture. That's how you know you're truly saved. You immediately just vaporize. Um, You know, your clothes are left there in a pile and, and you go to heaven. Well, we're saved. We're born again. We're going to heaven, but we're alive and breathing on this earth because God has a plan for us. Now, we know in Ephesians 2.10 that that plan God knew before time began. So God, who knows the end and the, and the beginning and everything in between, he saw your life in Christ before time began, and he put all of these divine appointments in your way ahead of time. And if we're walking in the Spirit, 
and we're being conscious of the fact that I'm here for God's purposes today. I'm here for God's work today. And as we now walk, we're conscious of that. And God will have good works for us to do that would be a blessing, that would be instrumental uh, in somebody's life. I mean, obviously, some days in greater proportion than other days. But every day, there's a, there's a reason. And so our life every day would be a pattern like Jesus, who was always about the Father's business, and Jesus said, everything I do pleases the Father, that our life would be that pattern, and we would always be experiencing daily those divine moments, that divine work that God has for us. And whatever we're doing, we're always about the Father's business. That's a fun way to live. Matter of fact, I can't imagine living any other way. What is God's purpose for you today? And so to have that life, and it's stamping out good work. So let me tell you what. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, the reason you are alive is because God has prepared good works ahead of time that you should. It doesn't say you will. It says that you should walk in them. And so daily we surrender our lives to Christ. Daily we take up the cross. Daily we begin to walk in the pattern of Jesus Christ. And as we're walking in that pattern of Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit, we'll be aware spiritually, we'll be empowered spiritually, and we'll be able to be the pattern of good works to bless those along the way that we need to to be blessing. And then in doctrine, showing integrity. Again, young people often want to be extreme. As you get older, you get more balanced. And a lot of times people want to see things in the Bible that are not there. And they want to see it in an extreme fashion. Now, there are some extreme things in the Bible, and we're to take them extremely. (laughs) That's God's intent. But a lot of times young people see things in an extreme way in the Bible, and it's out of balance. And it's not going to, if you push the envelope and take what they're believing to the next degree, it doesn't work. God's not going to support it. Human nature doesn't support it. It's going to just, they're going to fizzle out if they don't come back and have integrity in their doctrine. The word integrity comes from the word integer. An integer is a whole number. A fraction is a fraction. So in math. And so he's saying that your doctrine has integrity. In other words, it's a whole number. It's, it's complete. And so if you take, for example, the doctrine of prayer, you don't want to just look at a couple of verses in the Bible and then get extreme. Jesus said, whatever I ask you would do. That's all I need to know about prayer. Well, the Bible also says when we ask according to his will, he hears us. And then we have the very thing we ask of him. So there's people that want to go off on an extreme, name it and claim it. The Bible doesn't teach that. (laughs) Jesus taught us in prayer. When we pray, we start off, our Father who art in heaven, there's an intimacy. He's our Father, but he's also God. He's in heaven. He's all-powerful. And then the very first thing we submit, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. This time I have in prayer is not about getting my agenda pushed through the heavenly, uh, you know, stamp approval here and, and to get out of you, God, what I want to get out of you. 
Prayer, prayer's not going to support that. It's my coming into God's will, and if I'm in the Spirit, my desires and God's desires are the same. And so I'm crying out my desires unto God, and guess what? They're the same desires of God's, and he's going, absolutely, that's my kingdom, and it's going to come on earth. That's my heart's desire as well. And so again, you know, that's one area, the one doctrine. So in doctrine, to know from Genesis to Revelation and to have a balanced teaching uh, of Scripture, that it's correct, that it's whole uh, in your teaching. So young men, you know, if you don't have a, if you have a passion for all these worldly things, stop it. It's, it's not going to, you know, God's given us all things to enjoy. But make sure that your zeal is for the things of God. Now, if your things are, your, your heart's, zealous for the things of God, that's wonderful, but make sure that you're not teaching extreme things or going off into extreme tangents. Come back unto submission unto older men who have the balanced doctrine, who, who know the entirety of Scripture, and, and now run with that intensity with correct doctrine. And also to be reverent or dignified. And uh, so again, there's that same word for every single one of us, that we would stand out to the world as a unique people, um, as people that have a godliness about us, have a, have a life in the Spirit with us, that is a, a, a life that says, wow, there's something amazing about that person, about how they view life, how they're handling themselves. I, 99% of the people would have did this, but they did this. And it's very noticeable. To us who are just walking this way, it's not noticeable to us because that's the way we are. But to the world who's, you know, marching to a different beat of a different drum, we stand out to them as, wow, these people have a uniqueness about them. And then on the negative side of things, he says, an incorruptibility. In other words, you're, you're, you're fixed. You're not going to be corrupted. I think of Joseph, the guy with the coat of many colors. I was thinking about him a while back and all of the areas of his life that were tested. You know, we have the one that we often point out that stands out. You know, when Potiphar's wife was trying to get, her, get him in bed while Potiphar was gone, when he was down in Egypt and he left his coat behind and he fled away to keep his sexual purity. But what about the other stuff? He comes down, his father said, go find out what your brothers are doing. And they take him and they throw him into a pit and they're talking about how they're going to kill him. Now here he is alive and his own brothers want to kill him. I think in 99% of the people, they would have been so eaten up with bitterness the time they were 30 or 40 years old, they would have self-destructed, just being so bitter at their families. But he never did get bitter. I mean, that, that's even greater in my mind than the, the other thing with Potiphar's wife, not, not that both of them don't stand out wonderfully. But then they decide, hey, why kill him? We can make money on him. Let's sell him into slavery. So here he goes from being the number one loved son of his father as a slave, he sold to these Midianites. Now, if you know the story of the Midianites, they were the ones that seduced Israel along with Moab uh, under Balaam's counsel. We just studied this in Numbers to destroy 23 plus thousand uh, Israelis. 
And now he's being sold as a slave to these Midianites. And it's in this Egyptian caravan. So it's going down to Egypt where he's sold in Egypt. A slave in Egypt. Again, um, this is heavy stuff compared to where things are heading. The whole nation is going to be a slave there for 430 years. But there is a slave. His heart is right. There's no bitterness. Now also... I think a lot of people would have said, where are you, God? You know, these guys sold me in slavery, and if you're really God and you're all-powerful, then I wouldn't be a slave here in Egypt. He didn't ever get bitter with God because when he fled from Potiphar's wife, he said, how can I sin against God and Potiphar? So he had this sense that I am still trying to live a life pleasing to God. So there was no lack of faith or bitterness towards God. It didn't seem to matter what circumstance this guy was put in, he was incorruptible. He couldn't be corrupted. And then you guys know the story. Potiphar's wife, who now is insulted that she didn't have the power to seduce this young man, when Potiphar got home, she said, he raped me. I mean, it's bad enough going to prison, but going to prison as a rapist, going to prison as a foreigner who raped an Egyptian woman into an Egyptian prison. That would have been a very difficult thing. And so here he's going into prison as this sexual predator, and here he's being put in prison. And as a prisoner, again, he stands out until he's in charge of all the prisoners. And of course, we see at the end of Genesis, what does he say? I knew all the time. You meant it for evil, but I knew God meant it for good. He had deep in his heart a verse we find in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28. God turns what? All things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He knew it. It was just written deep on his heart. He knew this thing was going to get turned around to the glory of God. And sure enough, it did. Then we think of Daniel. Same type of story. He's taken from Babylon, or he's taken from Israel down to Babylon. He's there made a eunuch. I won't go into the details of that. <laughs> but uh, if you read on in Daniel, you notice he never got married. And uh, after being made a eunuch, he was to be trained in how to be a wise man for the king, for the king of Babylon. And he just said, you can kill me, but I'm not going to compromise what God has told me. And of course, the Jewish Bible had no clout in Babylon. And he goes, I'm not going to bend. I know the Bible in my heart. He had no scriptures. He had no synagogues. He had no encouragement. He was a young man, but he was not going to be swayed. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saw Daniel, they had the same heart. And those four guys just said, you can kill us, but we're not going to eat this meat sacrifice to idols. And since everything is, we're going to go on a vegetarian diet because we're not going to be defiled by Babylon. And there we see God's hand of blessing. And so, again, we see this inability to be corrupted by the people around them. They have such a determined and fixed heart. And then sound in speech, that 
cannot be condemned. The words coming out of your mouth is in a way that no one can ever point the finger at you and say, hey, that's corrupt, that's corruptible. Are Christians supposed to talk like that? In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Uh, The word grace is also the root word for gift. It's like a gift to your ears, or we'd say music to your ears. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In Ephesians 5, verse 3, the second part of that verse, let, not, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints, neither filthiness, nor co- foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So we go on in, in Ephesians, and it says, let your words be psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking melody out of your heart, the word of God. In Colossians, let the word of God dwell in you richly and you're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, bringing praise unto God from your mouth. And so again, in Ecclesiastes, it says, God's in heaven, you're on earth, let your words be few. In Proverbs, it says, he who has many words has much sinning. And so our words are to be few and when they are coming out, They are to be full of grace and full of beauty and full of edification, building one another up. And uh, I don't think anybody's ready to get an A-plus in that class yet, are you? Um, We've got a long ways to go, but we need to work on that and realize that this is what God's saying. So there's no room for condemnation. Notice what he goes on to say, that one who has an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. In, In 1 Peter Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he says it this way. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. That's to be our mindset on this earth. We're just at a bus stop. We're passing through. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they will, not if, but when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So he says, make sure that your words, your life is in such a way that when they come against you, there's nothing there. There's no ammo for them to pick up, for them to say, you did this, or you said that, or your life patterns this way. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then boom, see, this guy is a liar, and so you can't trust him. Our life needs to be in such a way that, that uh, there's no room. I think, again, think of Daniel. Later on in that book, remember, uh, the new empire takes over, that of the Medes of the Persians. And Daniel, uh, instead of being put to death or jailed for being a part of the earlier um, Babylonian reign, he's raised up as one of the 120 satraps. That's the name of the governors they had over the various provinces. And, and then Darius was saying, this guy is so elite, I want to make him the number one guy next to me. And when these satraps heard that, they got jealous, and they said, we've got to trick Darius to get rid of this guy, Daniel. Now, the Medes and the Persians had a law that once a law was made, it could never be changed. 
So it's pretty serious. And so they set up and they went to Darius and said, you know what? You're not getting enough worship. We need to make a day that you alone are worshiped. And Darius was flattered by these 120 guys, or 119 guys. Daniel wasn't there. And so he said, yeah, go ahead and do that. Because the only thing they had on Daniel is that he prayed three times a day to that Jewish God. And so, sure enough, when they waited for that day to come, they saw Daniel, and there he was three times a day, and they caught him in the act. And they took him to Darius, and they said, hey, the law of the mage of the Persian can't be broken, so this guy has to be thrown into the lion's den. But it's interesting, to get Daniel, the only thing they could trap Daniel on was the fact that he prayed three times a day. That's the biggest dirt they had on him. I got some juicy dirt. He prays three times a day. That was it. The guy's life was impeccable outside of that. And that's what Peter and 1 Peter tells us as well, that as we're sojourning on this earth, our life would be in such a way that the evildoers would have no room to come against us. Well, in verse 9 and 10, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now, understand, this isn't the only verse we have on slavery. There's some other verses in 1 Corinthians 7, and Paul clearly says there, I'm not for it, but it exists. And you've got to understand that more than half of the Roman Empire of this day were slaves in various degrees. And so it existed. Um, you know, God wasn't leading Paul to make an overthrow of slavery at this time. The Roman Empire was going to be ending very soon, according to the prophecies of Daniel. And so in the midst of the way things were, and again, as you look at the slavery, for the most part, under Nero later on, after Paul, he went crazy and burned his slaves to death and did all kinds of weird, sadistic things. There was a period of the Roman Empire that did that. But for the most part, they were like hired, they were like employees, okay? Not, an, not everywhere, but for the most part, the slaves under the Roman Empire were like employees. And so there's a lot of principles from that we can take from this passage. Um, in the Old Testament, um, God, again, as you look at the Old Testament, God didn't create a lot of the things that were happening. A lot of the things were so embedded in their culture, he said, if I bend them too far, I'm going to break them, so I'm going to slowly get them there. So, for example, example, they had multiple wives. God wasn't for multiple wives. In the beginning was Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve's. He didn't make Adam a harem. But we see in the law that the guy who had more than one wife, the wife that was less loved, her kids got everything. So God built in the law that there wouldn't be wife abuse to the second or third or less loved wife, but also it was built in such a way that her kids, the wife that was left loved, less loved, got everything. And so basically it's like, why have a second wife? I, I'm cursing the wife that I love the most. And... You know, whatever I would have got out of wife number two or three, um, you know, triple the nagging. Um, <laughs> I don't know what he what would have got out of that. 
but it's not worth it. And so eventually, the time we come to the time of Christ, it, it rarely happened in the Jewish culture, if at all. And today, it's not there. But there's other things like that, that God didn't create them. They already existed. It wasn't going to end. And so God brought in these guidelines for it until eventually he could get rid of it. Slavery was one of those things. And so if you read in Exodus 21, verses 1 through 6, and Deuteronomy 15, verse 12 through 18, it talks about the slavery of the day. Now, why do I take so much time with this? Because a lot of people, even to this day, try to use the Bible in two ways. To validate slavery. There's more slaves in our world today than there have ever been in the history of mankind. They try to use the Bible to say, look, God's for slavery. On the other hand, people try to say, I'm not going to be a Christian because the Bible's full of a bunch of stuff that's not true. One of it is slavery. And you say, no, when you look at the New Testament, the book of Philemon, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God's heart is that there would not be slavery, that every man would be free. However, in the Jewish culture, if a man was a drunkard, for example, he wasn't taking care of his fields, he wasn't taking care of his family, then he could be made a slave. But as you read it in Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 15, it was to last only six years. And on the sixth year, he was basically to have a pile of money and supplies to go with him. There are also the slave owners, which were elders in the Jewish community, were to treat them kindly and lovingly, saying, remember how they treated you in Exodus, or in, in Egypt, and if you treat them that way, I'm going to do what you against you what I did against Egypt. You need to be somebody who's teaching them to be different and to change. And so in every time it talks about slavery, it's, it has to give another avenue if this guy wants to remain a slave. Because after people were slaves for six years, they often didn't want to quit. <laughs> and he would have to come and say, because I love you, my master, and I love my wife, I love my children, I know the best me The best me is when I'm under your control. And I know if I go back out there, I'm going to become an alcoholic again. Or I'm going to become a lazy, no good, nothing again. But I know here, under your control, I will be the person that I want to be, my family needs, for the society's sake. And he would go to the doorpost. In in Deuteronomy, it says they have to go get permission from the, the elders of the community first. And in and, and Deuteronomy, it doesn't specify that, but it goes to the doorpost of the house and he gets a permanent earring that everybody knows. This guy's no ordinary slave. He cho- he's a slave because he chose to be one. And Paul in the New Testament says, that's what I am. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. So when we're reading these passages, again, on, on bond servants, God's not saying slavery's a good thing. And here's how I'll tell all your slaves to be. He's talking about slavery like God did in the Old Testament out of concession. It existed, period. And it wasn't not going to exist in the near future. So how are these Christian 
slaves to be. And so he's basically, they're asking the questions, what do we do as slaves? How do we, how are, what's to be our attitude? Now, of course, all of us are bond slaves of Christ. All of us are slaves to one another. The Bible says we're one another's servants. Jesus washed everyone's feet, the lowliest servant's job, and said, blessed are you if you do the same. And, of course, the principles, again, here is working for somebody. So the principles apply in an employee-to-employer situation. And I hope that in talking about this, I've not offended anybody, but... um, it's there in the scriptures, and again, Paul is talking about it out of concession, not out of this is God's plan to have slavery, not at all. Um, and so to exhort them, again, to strongly encourage these bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. So God's, for whatever reason, God's allowed you to be in this situation. For whatever circumstance, you're in this situation So as a slave, just submit and find yourself totally obedient to them. That's to be your heart. Now, again, going back, Joseph is a good example of that. As a slave, he became so obedient that Potiphar put him in charge of everything. And it says that Potiphar didn't know anymore what was in his right hand or his left hand. Joseph ran everything, all his businesses. And so again, he became so submitted and so trustworthy that Potiphar said, I'm retiring. Joseph, you run everything. And that's where it came. And also to be well-pleasing, notice, in all things. In Ephesians 6, 6, Paul says this, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the work of God from the heart. So say, you know what? I'm not an employee to this person only. I'm an employee to God. I'm not a bondservant just to this person. I'm a bondservant to God. So I'm working at this grocery store. I'm working as if this were God's grocery store. And I'm going to work as unto the Lord. Now he goes on in Ephesians and Colossians to point out, if you work that way, then God's going to have to pay you. His salary is also. So, in other words, God has his payment plan for you as well. So you're not subjected to only what man's giving you. God's going to say, since you're working unto me, you're working for me, I've got a salary to give you also. And so we're going to see those blessings from the Lord also. And so in many cases, people are sort of stuck in their job situation. There's not really room for them to grow financially, maybe some over the next 20 years. Well, guys, listen. Get your eyes on the Lord and work as unto God. Yes, man's going to give you some money, which is from the Lord. But God's going to give you his salary as well. We read in Ephesians 6 and Colossians as well. And so do it as unto the Lord, pleasing in all things, not answering back, not being argumentative, not mouthing off, not being disagreeable and difficult, not pilfering, not stealing. Well, you're not going to give me that raise I deserve? Then I'll just start stealing stuff. I'll start taking what's not mine to you know, compensate for the raise you didn't give me. We can always justify that way. But again, not pilfering, 
but showing all good fidelity, all good faithfulness and loyalty. In other words, you're not just working hard when he's watching. You're not ever taking anything that's not yours. I know when I was in construction, I worked with a a friend of mine, and every Friday, he would go over and he would empty his bags of every nail, of every bit of material, and put them in the box and then put them in to where our boss stored the stuff for the weekend. But yet, as I began to work in jobs with other people, you know what everybody else did on Friday? They went and loaded up because <laughs> they had their side job and they had more nails than, than they would ever have in a normal situation because they don't want to have to go buy nails for the side job. They're taking all the nails they can to, for, they're basically stealing. But it was always amazing. This guy I worked with, every Friday, there was not one nail left in his back from his boss. And his boss knew it. And he did it whether the boss was there or not. And so this, again, is making such a clear statement that I am working for you as unto the Lord. There's all faithfulness. There's all loyalty. There's no stealing. And then to adorn, and this is the word here, cosmeo, which we get our word cosmetics from. So he's basically saying You're adorning yourself. You're beautifying yourself with what? The doctrine of God and our Savior in all things. That your life is is like putting on this beautiful makeup. Putting on this beautiful wardrobe. It's like you're all dressed up, decked out in character. And so as they're treating you like some dumb slave, who are you standing out as? You're standing out like royalty. Now think about it with our Lord Jesus Christ. He could have came as a king's kid. He didn't. He came as a poor carpenter's son, a fix-it man. In Nazareth, they said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a real dumpy place to live. But that's where Jesus, by God's design, had him live. He had a nothing job and a nothing place. In Philippians, it said he he made no reputation for himself. He didn't come as some brilliant person, some super talented person, some some super strong person or person that had this great voice. In Isaiah 53, it says his appearance was comely. That's a nice way of saying he was on the ugly side. Why? Because he intimidated nobody. The multitudes had no problem keeping him up till three in the morning and then him having to get in a boat and cross to the other side and the multitude of people being there and then he feeds 5,000 men plus women and children when he gets to the other side. Nobody was intimidated by him. They weren't intimidated by his wealth. He had none. He wasn't intimidated by his looks. He had none. They weren't intimidated um, by any aspect. He was such a regular nobody like them. He was easy to approach. But yet, people, the the uppity-ups treated him horribly. But yet, how did he constantly stand out? Even when he was obedient to the point of death on the cross. There the soldier, there the thief next to him. Everybody's like going, wow, this truly is the son of God. 
And so even though you may be getting mistreated on one hand or put down on another hand, you adorn yourself with the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the teachings of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus teach us? If you're mistreated, pray for him. If you're being wronged, love him. Bless him. Do good to him. Don't be overcome with evil, but what? Overcome evil with good. In other words, no matter what the world's throwing at you, you come back and you present Jesus to him. And actually, those situations are actually giving you an open door to preach Christ without preaching. I love that saying. Preach the word, preach the word, preach the word, and if needs be, use words. That's it. Preach the word. Preach Jesus. Tell them about Jesus with your life. When you're in the grocery store, when you're at the gas pump, when you're in the freeway, when you're out at work and you're at home in the neighborhood, let your life constantly be that life of Jesus Christ, adorned with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And then again, um, they're seeing not only about God, but God as our Savior in all things. You see, that's, that's the radical thing. People often think, I need to be perfect to be a great witness. Often when we mess up, we have the greatest opportunities to witness. Man, I can't believe you lost your temper and started screaming at that guy and, you know, went over and picked up the stick and started to hit him and, you know, I'm glad you didn't, you know. What was that about, you know? And it's, you know what? I blew it. And guess what? You got to see it yesterday, but I blow it every day. And what I did is I was embarrassed, but I went before God and I said, God, forgive me. I went to that person. I apologized to them. And you know what Christ did? He made me white as snow again. The Bible says when we confess our sin, he's faithful to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I do that about a thousand times a day. That's the kind of relationship I have with Jesus. You see, so often people can look at us. I've had people come in and go, man, I I just can't sing because everybody in your church could be like a professional singer, couldn't they? I mean, that's their thought. And I'm like going, I don't know what gave you that thought. He goes, just listen. So everybody's perfect. Everybody's a perfect singer here and I don't want to mess it up. It's like, just sit a little closer to somebody next time. I think you'll find that's not the case. But sometimes people look at us at church going, everybody's so perfect. I don't want to mess up their record over there, you know? Well, get a little closer. This is Sinners Anonymous, you know? (laughs) We come here because we're struggling. We're going, God, help me. Get me through another day, Lord, you know? And that's life. And, you know, things you struggle with today, you're going to overcome. And there's going to be a whole other set of things you're going to struggle with and have to overcome. And then just as we get it down, you know, we'll be in the hospital somewhere and, you know, mad at the nurse because she's not in here giving me more morphine. Get in there. You know, and... We'll blow it there, getting all angry in our deathbed, you know, struggling. God, forgive me for yelling at my nurse, you know. 
we're going to be struggling till the day we die. So the fact is, is you've got to learn that God is our Savior and he's a God full of mercy and grace to come boldly into that throne room of mercy and grace. That's the gospel, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but that's the good news. The gospel means good news. And the good news is that we have a Savior who will never leave us, never forsake us. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come can separate us from the love that God has for us. Amen? Now, that's the, that's the kind of thing I want to join. That's, that's the kind of thing that, that's, that sounds like good news. Well, our life often <laughs> preaches the gospel from the back door rather than the front door of saying, yeah, I know I messed up, but God loves me. And, and I, I'm not weighed down with guilt because I know he's forgiven me. I don't ever want to do that again. It was wrong, but I might. But either way, I know God's there and he's for me. Well, Lord, we thank you again as you, we look to your word here, line upon line, precept upon precept, and we come before you, Lord, whether we're an older man or older woman or a younger woman or a younger man in the workplace as well as the home. Help us, Lord. Whatever the issues are here tonight, if it's drugs or alcohol, Lord, free us up. It's not proper. We're not going to adorn the gospel of Christ if those things are in charge of our life. Lord, if it's anger, God, Lord, we know that your spirit who lives in us is greater than all things. And he can help us to have love and joy Peace, patience, kindness, goodness. We don't have to be angry and upset and bitter anymore that you can free us up. And Lord, we ask that our lives would be of such good fidelity before those we work for. And before, if you're employers, before our employees, that our life would be preaching Jesus and about Jesus being our Savior in all things. Let them know that you're our Savior. Lord, as we come tonight, Lord, as we let the light be turned on here in your word, Lord, just search our hearts right now, God. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name.